Dear listeners, today's two-part episode is very personal to me. I will be discussing mental health, which may be disturbing for some listeners today. If you are in a dark place and listening to this podcast, please turn to the list of resources in this episode's description. I hope you will soon realize that you are never alone in your dark place. The fact that suicide is on the rise amongst teens and young adults, the fact that it remains the leading cause of death in Canadian youth behind accidents is disturbing. It is especially worrisome because there are many youth mental health awareness campaigns led by governments, NGOs, and corporations. Could we possibly be doing something more? To answer this question, I urge listeners today to critically examine what mental illness means to them as a category. It may be possible that our approach to and discussion of mental illness in Canada may be perpetuating its root causes. I am using the term mental illness purposefully and not negatively. I want to highlight the prevalence of the idea in our culture that negative thoughts about the status quo are a disease. Today's episode is based on my lived experience as a student in ultra-competitive environments which breed negativity and thrive off despair. That being said, I am still considered part of a low-risk population for suicide. As a result, future podcast episodes, and not this one, will feature guest speakers from perceived high-risk populations. In conclusion, discourses of thriving, of getting back to school or work at full speed ahead, may be perpetuating environments where students feel the need to perform or be left behind. I hope that today's two-part episode which features a spoken word poem from a 10th grader, a discussion with a mental health advocate, and a discussion with a psychological researcher, highlight the sociocultural factors contributing to mental suffering in youth. This is a personal letter from me to my friends and family I know who are suffering or have been in dark places with their mental space. Thank you for listening to Dialogical Humanism. It means the world to me. I hope you enjoy segment one of this podcast featuring a spoken word poem written by Donna Lee. Small feet on the cement. Ice cream drippings forming dents on the shoes of a young girl standing behind the fence, swooning at striped zebras and bright-eyed giraffes with necks that swayed into the skies. My nose pressed between iron bars, looking on with carefree eyes. Oh, how the tables turn, for now I feel like I am one of those once-beloved zoo animals. Perhaps the lethargic jungle prowler in square feet. Caged in the walls of family, society, with parents dictating my every step, my every heartbeat, they lock the door and swallow the key. I'm fed, observed, mocked, raised for some other's pride and entertainment. I'm not raised for me. 
like the exquisite elephant making paintings for zoo visitors to see. My words are unheard of, misunderstood. I think I've forgotten how to even make a noise. I'm told to roar to be different, but I cannot even recall the inflections of my voice. How do I roar like an untamed lion when domesticity is all I've ever known, all I've been taught to own? They say I'll be let out into the wild one day. They claim possibilities for me to the ends of the earth. How bitterly ironic for the cages follow me everywhere. There are jungles like laughing vines and oceans of predators. These cages have names, medical school, cement, beauty standards, success, the best university. What else do you dare? I think I now see a giraffe differently who has its neck in the skies, aching, aching to be free. I see the giraffe in me. Donna, I got chills when you sent me this poem. I was just wondering if you could tell me who inspired you to write it. Um, my friends inspired me to write it because, like, they my friends keep chatting about um, how, um, they get pressured by their parents and like persuading them to go through the like a career path that they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I keep hearing like every time Asian parents saying that if you are a lawyer or a doctor or either a engineer, like they would say you're a failure to me, like your parents. Mm-hmm. And like my belief is that it's not right. It's it's wrong to tell your child that. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to support your child to be what they want to be, like what they're passionate about, because mm-hmm. it's wrong. To dialogical humanism. In segment two of this episode, we will now be discussing how specifically the mental health situation is affecting students in Canada. And my guest speaker for this segment is somebody that is really close to my heart and very special to me. I met her when we both won the TD Scholar for Community Leadership, and I'm forever grateful to have met such an incredible advocate for youth mental health. She is the recipient of not only the TD Canada's Trust Scholarship for Community Leadership, but also the YMCA President's Peace Medal Award. And she's also won an award with RBC for being one of the top 25 Canadian immigrants of all time. Beyond all of these accolades, though, Louisa is somebody who inspires me to connect with individuals in my life in a deeper and more meaningful way each and every day. And she is such a fun and wonderful person to be around. Louisa, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be on this really little podcast. Thanks for having me, Janet. I'm super excited. No, of course, of course. 
Before we begin today, Louisa, I don't think it would be okay to continue an interview with you without at least first addressing the incredible work you've done with Peace of Mind Canada. I was wondering if you could speak to what inspired you to start that organization and how that relates to our topic of the podcast today, which is specifically feelings of inadequacy amongst youth and youth mental health in Canada. Sure. So um, a lot of people may know me, you might not know me, but I am a mental health advocate and my whole life has been an overall social activist, but mental health really became the forefront of my activism and my advocacy um, when I was 15 years old. When I was in 10th grade, I lost one of my best friends to suicide. And I grew up in Winnipeg, even though I go to U of T now. Um, and when I was in Winnipeg, we lost four high school students to suicide within a time span of one month. And one of those people were my best friends, Miguel. That whole year and the next few months after especially, I really contemplated life in general, what it meant to be successful, what it meant to be happy, what it meant to live a meaningful life. Being a 10th grade student, um, it really hit me hard and it was the first day of exam season and I really had no idea how I was going to be able to kind of carry on during that difficult time. Mm -hmm. And from this moment, I decided I wanted to create my own nonprofit organization called Peace of Mind. Mm -hmm. And Peace of Mind is a youth-led nonprofit organization that um, really advocates for students sharing their own stories and experiences surrounding mental health. Mm -hmm. So for today's topic um, on the podcast, I really wanted to focus on the effects that mental health has on our productivity and how exactly it can affect us, especially during times like this. Definitely. Thank you so much, Louisa. I'm so sorry for your loss, first of all, and very grateful for the courage you have to speak to these issues. And I think that no matter where we are as students, whether we're in our high schools or we're at university, I think it's safe to say that unfortunately suicide is now quite commonplace and it's a conversation that needs to be happening more more than ever and on to the points that you brought up about how productivity is often related to feelings of unease and may lead to feelings of loneliness or inadequacy i was wondering in your journey as a mental health advocate hearing people's stories and through your own personal experiences as a stereotypically high-performing student and high-performing individual, how have you encountered discourses of productivity and how have these related to mental health from your personal lived experiences? I guess like the one thing that a lot of people think and a large misconception that a lot of people have about not only me, but high-performing quote-unquote students is the fact that we are always high performing in every aspect of our lives. Mm. People think that because I can be successful as an advocate, that that all like ultimately means and translates to the fact that I'm a good student. Mm -hmm. But in fact, mm -hmm. I do not have the same passion that I have for my mental health advocacy. So I have a lot lower GPA like to out myself right now mm -hmm. um, than mm -hmm. people might think I do. Yeah. And for the longest time, it's always been hard for me to accept the fact that school was not my passion mm -hmm. and that product mm -hmm. in certain areas of my life weren't going to be applied in all subjects that I was involved in. Um, and I think to learn that it's okay that you like things more than other things and you'll apply yourself to other subjects and other topics and other areas of your life 
than maybe others such as school. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my whole life, I've always been someone that was supposed to be smart. I was someone that was supposed to be intelligent. I was supposed to be an achiever. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't that person. Um, and it's to many people's surprises when they hear that I maybe didn't get a 90 average in high school or I don't have a 4.0 GPA or I've failed an exam before. Um, and it's just the, the way that mental health affects my productivity is when I feel this pressure, especially being a student at U of T, you feel this pressure and you feel the need to be high performing and you have to feel like you have to choose between being mentally well or being a good student. Yeah. And it's not often that we are given the choice to be both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now without school being in the picture and we're just in our homes doing school, that's a whole different problem. So you have the same stresses that you have while being in school. And on top of that, you don't get the social interaction that makes school fun. And the aspect that makes school fun is already such a minuscule part of our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And taking that out of the equation can add even more stress to students. Absolutely. Louisa, what you're saying really strikes a chord with me. And since you outed yourself all out myself too, I've realized lately that I have passions that go beyond school and I have identities that go beyond being a productive member of society that's supposed to re-contribute to the capitalist apparatus that I've been born into. And rather, I'm also passionate like you about challenging some infrastructure that we have in our culture and our society I actually also failed one of my first exams ever (laughs) and it's been very difficult I think to consolidate that identity of being a student but also just being a human being and I was wondering if you could comment on whether or not this is a common feeling or common thread that you encounter because you've talked to so many youth across Canada who are experiencing difficulties with their mental health For sure. This is definitely something that not only I struggle with, but a lot of people that I've spoken to, too. Um, And it's not even just students specifically all the time. It's parents who are immigrants who feel like they have a high bar that they need to uphold for their children. Mm -hmm. Or it's children who feel like their parents have sacrificed so much for them that they have to meet this high standard. And if not, then it kind of derails their mental health a bit and makes them feel like they weren't worthy or they weren't deserving of the things that they have right now or they aren't taking full advantage of their opportunities. Um, and then there's a whole other topic of stigma surrounding mental health, not just in society as a whole, but within different aspects of generation, generational gaps and cultural, cultural gaps. Mm-hmm. And so you have all these issues coming together, and that just makes for a huge problem in today's world when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. What you mentioned about the cultural factors that go into feelings of mental illness, whether or not you're a student or an immigrant or someone from a minority community or racialized background, that really struck a chord with me, Louisa, because I feel that the discourse surrounding mental health these days is very individual-based and very individuating in itself, whereby a lot of students and youth who feel that they have difficulties with their mental health, that it's an individual pathology and it might it is not culturally or environmentally based. I was wondering if you could speak to that, if the youth that you've encountered often put that burden of having a mental illness or mental disorder on themselves instead of their experiences or their culture or their environment. Yeah, like for for my, I guess, personal experience and the people I've spoken to, um, the mental health, the issues that we have as students with mental health 
is something that builds up. You don't just wake up one day and you're all of a sudden depressed. It's this continual, like, painful moment in your life Mm -hmm. that is comprised of all these different feelings and all these negative emotions that have just built up inside of you. And it's something that everyone will encounter in some way, shape, or form, whether it's stress or whether it's um, a traumatic event in your life. It's something that people will inevitably feel one day. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair to say that each only one person or to out one specific student um, to tell them that, hey, like you have a mental struggle because people tend to forget that just because you don't have a mental illness doesn't mean you don't have mental health. Absolutely. And so students, we think like, okay, shit, like I don't have depression, so what am I really complaining for? Or I don't have anxiety, I have a bipolar disorder, so like I can't go to accessibility services and get this note because I really wasn't feeling well yesterday. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's these certain, I guess, barriers in order to get help because you were having a hard time with your mental health, mm-hmm. but it is not a mental illness, that's where the issue comes into play. And it's a whole mm-hmm. systemic problem where students feel like it either has to be super, super bad in order for them to get the help they need, or it's going to be too late and they've already died by suicide or attempted by suicide or they've already been looked at as a dysfunctional member of society, which in all cases is completely um, preventable. And that's the thing with mental health and suicide is that if you don't get the help that you need, there are life or death factors. And in my case, and and the experiences that I had with people I know, people that I have known that have died by suicide, it's been preventable. And it's things that I've looked back on in my life and thought about what could I have done differently? Um, and not only realizing that maybe I had, I could have done something, but it's a fact that there's systems and larger people beyond us that have the responsibility to provide adequate resources and to complete, I guess, the piece of the puzzle that's missing, which is a conversation within institutions, within even starting from kindergarten, like having this talk about mental health as early as we have conversations about physical health. Um, and so this, this large gap has been something that's been around for years and the stigma that's been surrounding the issue is definitely not helping at all. Absolutely. I feel really passionately about one thing that you just mentioned, Louisa, which is that oftentimes people find it difficult to gouge or gauge, sorry, not gouge, gauge the severity, (laughs) gauge the severity of their anxieties or their feelings of loneliness and how the category of what is defined as a mental illness is actually rather unstable when you look at it and how many people share similar anxieties and feelings about the world but have trouble determining whether or not that is a mental illness or not. I was wondering if you had any comments about that, specifically the category of mental illness itself and how general anxieties about the environment might be categorized as individual pathologies when they are really shared concerns. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think a lot of the times um, when we struggle with our mental health, we may be super hesitant to reach out for that um, extra help that we may need. And a lot of people will go throughout their lives undiagnosed, especially younger kids who might not know exactly what mental health is because of the lack of conversation that they've had within their everyday lives, whether it be school or their family, um, we tend to miss out on that really important gap in our lives where these kids are impressionable. And that can carry on into when you're in university. And 
the added stigma that you get along the way within growing up in the school system. Um, and you just get more exposed to these things. And I remember being in high school and a middle school and knowing like 25, 30 people who were self-harming. Wow. And wow. maybe they did not necessarily have a mental illness, but this is the way they coped with things. Wow. And that was the result of a negative, not negative, but some, that was a result of somebody who had, um, who was poorly equipped with mental health resources. Wow. And whether it be because of the lack of conversation or because of the lack of com- the lack of awareness they've had in terms of healthy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. um, it was that, it was the outcome that many people had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the mental illness itself, yes, like mental illnesses are real in, in many cultures, including um, I've had family members as well that have thought the mental illnesses were fake and they were a myth. Um, one, they're not. <laughs> Two, they're just like any other physical illness that you might have you would never tell a cancer patient they don't have cancer so why would you tell someone who has depression that they don't have depression Uh, and you're looking at it and you're saying okay maybe I don't have a mental illness but I am still struggling with how I am positively handling my mental health Mm -hmm. I'm forgetting to take care of myself I'm forgetting about self-care and it's all these different factors that play into your mental health um, and not only just how are you coping but also how much are you sleeping are you remembering to eat? How are you feeling about your day? Like there's just so many different aspects that we forget to incorporate when it comes to mental health Mm -hmm. that we really often just keep poor mental health um, as a synonym for mental illness. Absolutely. But you can have poor mental health without having a mental illness. Exactly, exactly. And quite honestly, Louisa, I find that increasingly the categories of mental illness might not be serving people who are necessarily experiencing these because of how widespread these feelings and anxieties can often be. I was so struck by, you mentioned, was it 25 to 30 students that you knew that were self-harming? Yeah. That's, That's an absolutely insane number. And that really breaks my heart because I think from personal lived experience of my own and also talking to people who experience uh, mental illness themselves is that often people, oftentimes people don't seek help because they feel like they are abnormal or outside of the normal and people won't understand or accept them and they feel lonely and they feel as if they're the only people who are feeling this way. So when we hear about the prevalence of these types of sentiments and these thoughts, it's almost ironic to me because the sheer prevalence of people who feel this way makes me think that these feelings of unease might be a very disturbing new normal. I was wondering if you could speak to, from your past experience, do you feel that there's a huge need for organizations like Peace of Mind? And do you feel like there's an increasing sense of mental unease that you experience as a mental health advocate in this space? I think the lack of conversation still exists, but I think we're doing more as a society to talk about it. Um, We have initiatives like in Canada, we have Bell Let's Talk, um, but I'd love to see that initiative carried on in our everyday lives and not just saying hashtag Bell Let's Talk and be kind to one another one day and then talking shit about someone the next day and mm-hmm. outing someone and bullying them online like two days later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
there's so many issues with um, even how much we talk about mental health within schools. A lot of teachers and a lot of school boards are hesitant to talk about mental health because they're scared of triggering students. But at the same time, I don't think they realize that the lack of awareness, and lack of conversation mm-hmm. is even more painful for students than it is to educate them on it. Um, and I guess in terms of being a student in post-secondary as well, um, there is a need for more support and resources for university students. Um, and in my opinion, organizations like Peace of Mind, where it is a youth-led initiative, it kind of helps the conversation keep going because we're more likely to talk to someone who looks like us and has common experiences as us and has um, experienced, I guess, this environment and this social era um, as opposed to someone who is 50 or 60 or 70 years old who might have, sure, the the experience overall with, like, maybe they got schooling or whatever it is it may be. Maybe they're a registered psychiatrist, but there's a different aspect that comes with being able to talk to another youth and being able to talk to someone that maybe you don't know all that well, but someone who is still there to listen to you. Absolutely. Um, I think that even an initiative that we have at U of T called U of Thrive, like, it's something that is super important because post-secondary institutions are losing students to suicide every year. Mm-hmm. And it's something that gets swept under the rug mm-hmm. because it doesn't look good for their name or for their brand. Um, but every single year that's a life lost. And, and I really wish that institutions took that more seriously. Um, but it's really nice to see that there are students and that there are movements going on within the country and around the world to kind of counteract the lack of I guess, resources that are being given by post-secondary education. Absolutely. Louisa, I want to thank you and the work that you've done with Peace of Mind and with You of Thrive. I will link the websites to both of those organizations in the description of this podcast. The work that you've done has really inspired me to do initiatives like this that really build on the conversation that you started surrounding mental health with youth in Canada. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Hello. Okay, that was less cool than I thought. <laughs> what was it? No, I was just like, I was going to be all like, welcome back to the show and stuff like that. But I didn't think yeah, of it. Yeah, how did that go? No, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really fly. So. <laughs>